Good morning. Welcome to Valley Lights Church. It's fun to see you all here this morning. I'm glad to see you that you're here um, in this Christmas season. We're right in the middle of December. And before we jump into today's message, I wanted to let you know about a special offering that we're doing as a church. Actually, each, each December we do a special Christmas offering. And this is a chance for us to consider giving to some ministries that go, uh, that, that operate outside of our church and our scope. And uh, you, there's actually a handout in your program that you can see today. There's a few different ministries that we're going to be giving to. And um, when we give to these uh, bigger organizations that have a real significant impact in some niche areas, it allows us to have an impact as a church far beyond what we're capable of doing and pulling off on our own right now. And I'm really excited about the way over the past few years this, this special Christmas offering has allowed us to extend our reach far beyond our little tiny slice of California. And so um, money given to this really has an impact far beyond these walls. There's four different ministries that we're going to be giving to you, and you can, you can read about those. I want to highlight two of them today, and then I'll, I'll put a special highlight on one of them next week. But um, one of the ministries that we're going to be giving to you, it's called Zoe International. And this is a ministry, I believe it started about a decade ago. And they have some headquarters throughout the world. But one of the, head, the, for the headquarters for Western U.S. is right here in Newhall, um, in our own town. And Zoe International is um, a ministry that is really trying to end human trafficking. And so just to give you a quick idea of what they do and why supporting them would be a big help, I want to just show you a brief video about their ministry. So it's a little bit about Zoe International. And I mean, it's pretty inspiring that people have put together a ministry dedicated to that purpose. The guy that you saw at the beginning of the video was the founder who, who started this ministry years ago. And um, so that's one of the ministries we'll be giving to you. The other one that I wanted to highlight this morning as well is um, it's, it's the Santa Clarita Valley Pregnancy Center. That's another ministry right here in town. And they have been working to provide um, a crisis pregnancy support for women. And uh, they just put out um, a newsletter this month about some things that, that, are, that are doing. And there's a story about one of the women that came to get some help at the pregnancy center. And so I just wanted to read it to you just to give you a little bit of an idea, a flavor of, of what their ministry is like. This is a story about um, a young woman named Sabrina. And uh, she basically shared this uh, with, with, the, with, the, with the center. But she said that um, she got pregnant once and um, she went to an abortion clinic. And she said on the phone, they seemed nice enough, but when she got to the abortion clinic, they rushed her through the process to get the abortion pills and then sent her home. So when she was back at home, she took the first two do doses, as she'd been told, and uh, her situation took a turn for the worse. She writes, she said, I could barely keep my eyes open as the waves of cramping began. I became so weak that I could barely stand up. I literally thought I was going to die. So gathering all of her strength, she called the abortion clinic and told them what was happening since she took these pills. And she, they said, if you go to the ER, don't tell them that you took abortion pills or that you came to see us. Just tell them that you think you're having a miscarriage. So still shaking from head to toe, um, she called a friend who drove her to the emergency room. And by the time she arrived, she was bleeding so bad that her pants were soaked. And she passed out. And they wheeled her in and were able to uh, save her and revive her. And um, so... 
few months after that, she got pregnant again. And um, she had gone to this center this time, the, the pregnancy center, instead of the abortion clinic. And um, the person that was helping her, um, you know, was asking her about her situation. She, she said she wanted another abortion, but she was devastated to learn that she was pregnant again. Um, but she said, I, I can't fathom having another child, but I would have to have a different procedure because I'm not taking the abortion pill again. And the person at the uh, pregnancy center was um, calm and non-judgmental, compassionate, responding, and um, just really shared some of the other options and some of the things that, the ways that this story could play out. And she felt a lot of support. Um, turns out, um, she talked to her boyfriend that night, this woman, Sabrina, and shared all of this, and he was supportive. She went back for another follow-up appointment and got a limited OB ultrasound. And what she saw at the ultrasound truly amazed her. Um, when she saw her baby's heartbeat on the ultrasound monitor, she said, I knew I could not have an abortion. So at the end of her appointment, the, the person at the, at the center asked if she could pray for her and tell her about Jesus. And she said, I'm not really a religious person, but my boyfriend kind of is, and he'd probably like what you're saying because he actually wants, he wants me to continue the pregnancy. And so um, this, this actually ended up with her keeping the baby and uh, bringing it to full term. And um, she said, you know, looking back, the, her experience at the abortion clinic versus the pregnancy center was totally different. Um, she experienced the care in, in, that she needed and just the, the spiritual connection that, she, that was totally lacking. So she just said, you know, I'm so thankful that the center it really gave me the courage to have this baby. And so um, it's, pretty, it's pretty amazing, it's pretty compelling. There's, um, there are, this center helps women in crisis pregnancies. And um, they, according to this, their own stats, they say 93% of their clients at risk of abortion choose life after an ultrasound, which is one of the reasons they provide ultrasounds so much. And, and also free pregnancy tests and, and things like that. There's another photo of a few other babies that were born this year to clients of the pregnancy center. So even this Christmas, you know, these babies were born, you know, in June and April. But that, what that means is there's going to be women who are going to be celebrating their decision for life. And there's going to be babies that are going to see their first Christmas because of some of the ministry that's happening here at the center. And so I wanted to highlight these two particular ministries, this one about um, human trafficking and also this abortion crisis pregnancy center. And, you know, as a, as a church on the smaller side, we don't have a lot of resources to do a lot of hands-on ministry directly in those kinds of arenas. I, I wish we could, um, but at the moment we can support. And this is, this is one of the reasons that we um, do a Christmas offering like this, is we really want to, we want to, um, you know, broaden our generosity to give towards people that are really making a difference in some in really needed areas of life. Um, so you can, um, maybe you'd start praying about whether or not you'd like to give to the Christmas offering. Um, if you do, uh, we'd, I'd really encourage you to consider giving above and beyond whatever is your normal giving to Valley Lights. We'll still, we actually, in order to operate, we still need the regular giving that is, comes in from our, our members and our attenders. Um, but if you wanna give to this, we'd encourage you to give above and beyond. And you can give using the giving envelope, just mark Christmas offering or giving online, there's a designation for that. And any money given to that, if it's designated that way, 100% of it goes to these ministries. We don't 
take anything off the top at all. It just goes to what's being done here. So I wanted to highlight these two ministries in particular today because we're going to look at one of the ways that God speaks directly into some of the difficult things that we walk through. Those are two real difficult parts of life. And um, we're in this series called Best Gift Ever, and we're reading about the very first Christmas. And we've been reading through Luke, you know, working our way towards the night when Jesus was born. And I love the way that Luke sets up the story because there's a few key individuals that were experiencing some, some difficulty, some unanswered prayer, some pain, some confusion, a lot of uncertainty in life, and they didn't know it at first, each of these people that we've been reading about, but God was preparing them. He was preparing to give them an incredible gift. And for each person, it was a gift of deeper faith that really addressed a tender spot in each of their lives. And so as we head, as we're in the middle of December, maybe you feel like things in your life are getting stirred up, or maybe you feel some pain or some confusion or some struggle, and it just might be that God is preparing to give you an incredible gift. He might be speaking directly into the tender spots of your life. Um, and he might give you a gift of renewed faith that results in tremendous hope and joy. So, um, as we've been reading through Luke, we, we read about Zechariah, then we spent some time looking at Mary, and today we're going to look at Elizabeth. Just following through the story, God's faithfulness to each of these people might reveal his compassionate care to you this Christmas season. And so, um, you know, when we start, the, the story opens, and it starts with this couple, Zachariah and Elizabeth. And they're a couple that was too old to get pregnant, even, and so they had no kids. They really wanted kids. Um, they were too old, but we read about how an angel visited Zachariah and said, your, your wife is going to conceive and have a baby. And there was a really specific task for that child. And so this is amazing. It was like miraculous, amazing news. But really, we, were, we only really read about Zachariah's experience processing through that. Today, we're going to focus on Elizabeth and how this incredible news impacted her. And so we're going to jump in in chapter 1 of Luke, uh, verses... Well, I just want to look at verses 6 and 7. Just to recap where we're at, it says both, both uh, meaning both Zechariah and Elizabeth, were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. That's kind of astonishing, by the way, <laughs> if you think about it. Wow, they, were, they had no blame, lived according to all of God's commands. Um, they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in years. I also find it really interesting that it says both. Sometimes in stories like this, it may focus on the man or the leader of the household, uh, especially since the first part of this story is centers on Zechariah, but there's this special note that both of them, there's this special thing happening with both Zechariah and Elizabeth. Um, so I want to fast forward to uh, past the episode where Zechariah receives the news from the angel. And if we go to verse 24, it says, After all this happened, this great news came to them. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. She said, the Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. So she got pregnant, and she's 
they're hiding out at home for about five months, first five months of the, of the pregnancy, and, and she's got this um, real attitude of, of thankfulness to God. And she says, God has taken away my disgrace. And if you know a little bit about, you know, the culture of the ancient, you know, Near Eastern region, this whole thing of not being able to get pregnant was a very disgraceful thing. There was a big social stigma with infertility. Um, you know, certainly if nowadays not being able to get pregnant is still a very, very tender, difficult thing for people. Um, the, the intensity was cranked up a little bit higher at that time, though, because there was this social dynamic where people thought there was something wrong with you. Um, maybe not just physically, but maybe even spiritually or morally because you couldn't get pregnant. Um, if you think about the word barren, which the, this word, the word barren is used to describe a woman that can't get pregnant. What do you think of when you hear the word barren? Like a desert or like a wasteland or a place you don't want to be. Even, even the word itself has this awful connotation. Or um, the, the word um, desolate. Um, barren and desolate. And so what would happen is people who couldn't get pregnant, like Elizabeth, would probably um, experience comments from people, uh, experience judgment and shame. This is why she's talking about this disgrace from among people. There's, there was a lot of negative attention she was getting from the fact that she couldn't get pregnant, even though she really wanted to. And so I think what was happening is really the sense of judgment and failure was just heaped on her judgment and failure. It was seen as judgment from God, because God is the one who could make you get pregnant if, he, if it's his will, and so if you're not pregnant, you're being judged by God, is what was thought. And also, she was seen probably as a failure, like she, was, she, she failed in her duty to provide her husband with a son to carry on the family name. And sometimes, for some, that was probably even cause for a divorce. Like, this woman is, is totally, her body's failing me, she's failing me. And so she wanted a child, definitely, but she also wanted to escape this heavy burden of disgrace and judgment. This, I'm guessing, this was probably the most tender spot in this woman's life, this whole area. She's probably asking questions of herself, like, is there, is there something wrong with me? Like, why, why isn't God taking care of this? Why, is, there, wait, is there something I need to do differently? Like, man, is this, what is going on? And if, if you know, if we look, remember what it says in verse 6, it says both of them were righteous, and they were living according to all of God's commands. So, no, this isn't a punishment. According to what was probably popular belief, this wasn't a judgment from God. It was something she was enduring for probably reasons she couldn't figure out. It's almost like, you know, metaphorically speaking, she had this ugly wart, an awful huge wart that she couldn't get rid of. That everybody could see, everybody could notice and be disgusted by, and she couldn't get rid of it. And the only one capable of removing it was God. So it wasn't a big sin that she needed to just get confessed and cleared up. This was a disgrace that was outside of her control. And I was, I was kind of wondering, are, are there any equivalents to this in our society where, where we experience a kind of like shame or disgrace or judgment that's outside of our control? I, I, I actually do think warts probably are one like small version of this. We, as a kid, I had, me and my siblings, we had this episode with warts where on our hands and fingers and feet and um, 
it, they're, they're really hard to get rid of. And they, it's a virus, so it grows and multiplies, and if you don't treat it right, they can get really big, and they're just, with it being on your hands, it's just so noticeable. And um, I had one in a real prominent spot in my finger that was just, and I just would you know, keep it covered up and try to figure out how to get rid of it, and it was really painful, and all the ways of getting rid of it, I was like, man, what do we even do? And then later, when we had kids, this, it actually came through our house again for a few years where we were dealing with warts and it was spreading. And there were some times when we, um, it's kind of, it's an embarrassing thing. I, you know, it's like, there's nothing I can even do about it. Like, how do I get rid of this stuff? But um, even with our kids, it, it got real bad for a few times. And um, we would all pray as a family, like, Lord, would you have mercy on us? Like, you're the one that can remove this. Would you please do that? And um, there was this process of really trusting God and waiting for him to help us. And there's things you can do. It just, it's, it's, there's no overnight solution, though, um, especially if it's a virus inside your body or your skin or whatever. And so when, after many years of actually um, getting to the point where God did help us get freedom and healing from that, even our kids remember praying for God's help and experiencing him coming through in that way. And... Um, I just remember uh, the blessing and the, and the trust that came from, from that. But I was thinking about, you know, warts, whether they're actual, real, or um, metaphorical in a way. Are there things in our society, are there other things where people would not want to be around you or not want to, or they would judge you or see like there's this failure or shame? And I think in, in different ways, there may be times where we carry tender spots of disgrace like Elizabeth did, um, maybe, maybe being barren, um, maybe infertile is one eye, but maybe there's just other parts of your life that feel desolate. And there's a part of your life where you feel like I'm incapable of producing life in this part of my life, or I'm, I'm just, I can't produce the good things that I want to. I feel desolate in a realm of life or, or you know, wards, so to speak, just ugly things in your life that you can't control. It actually could be related to your physical body, too. Maybe there's some aspect of your body that you feel like, I can't control, I can't, this, this thing about me I'm embarrassed about, I don't know what to do. Maybe this sense of shame comes from feeling like a second-class citizen or like a lower-class person. Maybe there's some deficiency in your life where you don't really feel like you measure up to everybody. And there's something that, there's just some part of you that sets you apart from everybody, and you feel like a disgrace about that. Or it could be your past shame or failures, times when you, maybe it was connected to a sin, or maybe it was a time that you blew it, and it feels impossible to outrun it, can't get away from it. That disgrace is just always hanging there. Another form of disgrace that we might also feel, a different category would be our commitment to Christ. And this is often a form of reproach or disgrace, receiving backlash from people. This is the word um, that Elizabeth used, like God has taken away my disgrace, that Greek word uh, most frequently is translated in the New Testament as um, the kind of reproach that we get from being aligned with Christ. And so there's, I'm just trying to think through different ways that we might be able to identify with Elizabeth in this story, where she feels like, I have this disgrace among people. It's a real undesirable part of who I am. And um, like I had mentioned earlier, um, there's also this issue of abortion, or maybe even sex trafficking. Those are two areas that can generate tremendous amounts of pain, or confusion, or regret, or just devastation in life, just long-term damage. 
And some of us, we, I, don't, I don't even know what everyone's story is. You know, you're sitting here and I don't even know what's in your background. And something I mentioned or something I didn't mention maybe has come up in your mind where you have this, you have a tender spot in your life. And so the question that I ask when I read this story is, what do, what do you carry that only God can take away? What kind of disgrace do you carry and God is the only one that can take it away? Just like Elizabeth said, man, God, he took away my disgrace from among, among the people. Actually, what it says, if you look at that verse again, let me highlight the next phrase. Is she says, he has looked with favor. Um, that word look, with God looking, it doesn't mean just, you know, to visibly see. It has this, it's, a, it's looking with concern. Like there's this, um, this emotion of compassion, like looking on with like a desire to help and to get involved. That's the kind of looking that, that she's saying. Like God, not only did he see me, but he, he's seeing and he's ready to jump in with me. Um, it's a way of seeing that moves the heart. And that's actually one of, the, one of the things I love about this story is that God sees our affliction and he looks with compassion. He sees our affliction. He looks with compassion. Um, this reminds me a lot. There's a story in the Old Testament about a woman named Hagar. She's a woman who's in the worst possible distress. She was totally alone, no one to turn to. And in her lowest moment, God ste- stepped in to take care of her. And she, she gives God a name. There's this name for God. It's El Roy. It's the God who sees. And um, if, you, if you read, you can follow, later you can look at Genesis 16, 13. But it says, she named the Lord who spoke to her. You are El Roy. For she said, in this place, have I actually seen the one who sees me? So in her greatest moment of distress, and sorrow and affliction, it was astonishing that, that God would pause and look on her with compassion. So from the, the Elizabeth story in Luke, we also see that God mercifully decides when to take away our disgrace. God is the one who decides. And if, the, if, you've, got, if you've got something that only God can take away, that means there's nothing you can do to rush the process along. Except, well, you can pray. <laughs> you can pray and ask for God's mercy. And that's what Elizabeth received. She received mercy. She received a child. And so much peace came into her life. Uh, she also received forgiveness. She knew um, she was going to you know, give birth to John. He was going to prepare the way for Jesus, who was also in the making. <laughs> and Jesus was going to be the one that was going to give her forgiveness from her, not, not just like the brokenness in her physical life, but in her spiritual life as well. So interesting that God is the one who opens and closes the womb. It says, if we look again, let me highlight another part of that verse. It says, Elizabeth conceived. And this is something that God is very much in charge of. It's always been fascinating to me that as long as humans have lived, there's so many things that we try to do to either like make pregnancy happen or to make it not happen or to like speed it up. But at the bottom of it all, God is the one who decides when life happens and whether a person conceives or not. Every time, every time. In fact, in Genesis 29, 31, there's this story where um, God opens Leah's womb, but not Rachel's. Two, two women married to the same guy. Um, and, uh, he, it just says God, he made one person be fruitful and the other, he didn't. He just kept the womb closed. 
In Genesis 20, 17, there's another story where it says the Lord had completely closed the wombs in Abimelech's household. Like this whole, this whole little village of people, all of the women, none of them could get pregnant. It says because God did that. God closed until Abraham prayed, and it says God healed them, and then they were able to get pregnant again. This is fascinating to me that all, throughout the scripture, you see God is the one who does this. And not only this, I believe he's involved in all of the tender spots of our life, the things that we just are completely helpless to do on our own. God is the one that decides when these significant things happen. So it says also that she kept herself hidden. She kept herself in seclusion for five months. That's, that's to me, an interesting phrase. That I don't really know exactly why she did that. There's, I, you know, when you look it up, people have different ideas about maybe the reason. And, um, you know, even now, sometimes people wait to let other people know that they're pregnant. And sometimes you wait to announce it. You wait a couple weeks or a few months maybe, until you, sometimes until you have to because you're showing. Um, or maybe you just want to get, maybe she wanted to get beyond the stage where most miscarriages would occur. And maybe she knew that that would be a possibility. But if you were to imagine, at least in my, in my mind, you know, imagine somebody who had been barren for so long. It, imagine how difficult it would be to have that shame removed and say, like, hey, I'm pregnant. And then if the baby were lost early on, man, walking through that, oh my goodness. Um, I, don't, I don't know, we don't know exactly why she stayed in seclusion for five months, but whatever the reason, I think it just points again that this is a very personal, tender spot in her life. This is just, this is, I mean, we, by reading the Bible, we get to peek into one of the, the most tender spots of this person's life. And you might imagine a woman like Elizabeth, you know, somewhere along the line, getting sour and bitter toward God because this thing never happened. And maybe she couldn't see, she, of course, she couldn't see how God would work in the end. But you're thinking, maybe, maybe she'd get frustrated at God, that her, her prayers weren't getting answered. And when she did finally get pregnant and receive this blessing from God, she, she doesn't come across entitled. And like, man, it's about time, or like, he finally answered, or like, maybe now I can trust him. No, it, it, there wasn't a sense of entitlement. There was, actually, when you, when you read about what she says, there is such a sweetness. There is a lightheartedness. Um, we can read about the part where Mary, who's about to have Jesus, comes to visit Elizabeth because they're relatives. And uh, in verse 39, it says, In those days Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah, where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby who's going to be John, leapt inside of her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then she exclaimed with a loud cry towards Mary, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me? The mother of my Lord should come to me. I love this phrase. Uh, um, she says, how could this happen to me? Almost like she's saying, like, who am I that I would get this blessing? First, I, first I, the Lord allowed me to get pregnant, and now I get to see this woman who's going to have Jesus. This is not an attitude of entitlement. This is just a humble, just like, God, like, you're heaping blessing upon blessing in my life. Who am I to receive such good things? And she says, for you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leapt for joy inside me. And then she 
she blesses Mary. She says, Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. Um, she knew that Mary really did believe that God was going to come through and get her pregnant with Jesus. And I think that just gives a flavor of Elizabeth also believing, really putting her faith in what God spoke to her as well. So I don't, I don't think Elizabeth did sour and brood and just grind through emotions all those years. I think she was a lighthearted woman. She really trusted the Lord. And I think it's really interesting um, when she talks about God taking away her disgrace. If you go back to that slide where it's got that word take away highlighted, um, the Greek word for that um, is aphoreo, and it's, um, it's to remove or to take away. And it's used later in the New Testament to take away sins. And I think this, this whole story, it, it's a, it's a buildup to the coming of the Messiah, of course. John's going to prepare the way. Jesus will be born. The Christmas story begins. And um, this is, you know, she's a relative to Mary. And so the, all of this is building up. I think in some ways, this might even represent a foreshadowing of what was coming. And that's that Jesus came into the world to take away our sins. I mean, God invaded Elizabeth's life and took away her disgrace, but so much more was about to happen. Jesus came into the world to take away our sins. This word, this Greek word comes up in Romans 11.27. It says, um, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. That same word is used there. Also in Hebrews 10.4, where it says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away our sins, take away sins. And um, this verse, it starts getting into maybe the kind of disgrace that we feel or the shame that we feel that stems from our own sins and foolishness. And so sometimes we do carry some shame for a while, some things we'd rather ignore and hide from, or maybe things we try to like, you know, be better and do better and try to like be good enough so that we can like maybe cover up that feeling of shame and guilt. And um, this verse says, there's, there's, it's impossible for anything else to take away that feeling. Um, it's impossible for us to escape the awful predicament that our sin puts us in. No sacrifice will do it. Not the blood of bulls or goats or any other kind of doing good or self-improvement could resolve our tension with God. And this is where Jesus comes in. His death on the cross was the offering for our sins. A few verses later, it says this in Hebrews, For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Um, this is a verse that says that followers of Jesus are being sanctified. And that word sanctified or sanctification, it means the process by which we're becoming more like Jesus. And that takes a lifetime. There's, there's no point in my life when I'm not in the sanctification process. Um, so we're, if, you, if you follow Jesus, you are becoming more like Jesus. Um, but what's amazing about this verse is even though, even though we're in process, Jesus will see to it that we are perfected. That one day we will have this guarantee. The Greek word for, for per perfect right there is teleo. It means to complete, to perfect, to totally finish, to like zip it up so it is 100% whole. And I love this verse because it does not matter what form of shame or disgrace you're carrying right now. If you have decided to follow Jesus, 
every ugly thing will be taken away from you. Every wart, every shameful story from your past, every deficiency, everything that makes you feel like a second-rate, second-class person. And there's a lot of hope in that. There is tremendous hope when we do put our faith in Jesus and we ask him to take away our sins. And so I, I hope this story about Elizabeth is one that um, maybe resonates with your life. And I, I have a few different next steps that you might consider um, in response to this. One might be to ask God to take away your sins through Jesus. And um, if, if, you, if you were to get to this point, if you've never done this and you want to get to this point, it first requires that you believe that you have sins that puts you in awful tension with an all-powerful God. Not everybody's ready to acknowledge that. Not everybody's ready to believe. God and I have a problem. Actually, I am the problem. (laughs) And there's nothing I can do to fix it until I ask Jesus to take away my sins. And so that's that's an amazing first step that sets into motion all kinds of good things later on. But that may be a step for you. Another next step, maybe you've already done that, and you're a a follower of Christ. Another next step for you might be to confess every sin every time. And I'll tell you what, I know by experience, it's really easy to want to sweep some of the sins under the rug and not come out with them and not confess them. And you know what? If you confess your sin to God in prayer, that's really good. That's really, really helpful. And there's some things that you... Bible tells us we actually need to confess to other people too. And there's something even more uncomfortable about bringing a sin into the light in front of other people and then even praying out loud to God with other people hearing, God, what I did was wrong, and here's what it was. Um, if, if you might be in a posi- position where you, you need to do that, and you've been maybe running from something and not wanting to bring something into the light, I'll tell you what. The feeling of freedom on the other side of that is worth all the discomfort. Another next step for you might be refusing to become sour and brooding. And maybe you're walking through something similar to what maybe Elizabeth did for decades, just decades of being barren and living with disgrace. There's nothing she could do about it, but maybe Your next step is just to refuse to become bitter at God. I'm not going to become sour towards him or towards people or just towards life in general and just become pessimistic and brood over my things. And just when everybody mentions that topic, I just bring it up and I just talk about and complain about, no, like you said, I don't, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be a sour person. I want to be lighthearted. You can, there's some steps you can take in, in moving in that direction. Another next step for you might be to wait with upbeat hope. Maybe there is a thing that you're praying for. And maybe really all that you can do is just wait and wait and wait on God. And wait on God with a kind of upbeatness, just a joy-filled attitude while you're waiting. We do know that God will remove every disgraceful thing. He will take it away from us. And he does some of that now. In this life, he takes a lot of things away. Man, you've probably experienced freedom from some things. Maybe God has taken away some things that were really dogging you. But not everything. There will be some things he removes on the last day. And on the day when 
every disgrace, every sin will be completely removed from us. We wait for that. And then one more next step might be to give to the Christmas offering to help more people find God, maybe help more people experience freedom. Um, you know, when Elizabeth finally did give birth to her son, John, it was a day of great celebration, of course, and her husband, Zachariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied this beautiful, it's like this amazing poetic prayer. There's two verses at the end I, I want to read because I, I love the imagery of what he says. You know, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, he says, Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. I think this is a beautifully poetic statement about God's tender mercy towards us. About the, and actually, you know, he mentions the reality that we're, we're walking through darkness. We're sitting in the shadow of death. But like the rising sun, like, a, like an incredible sunrise, Jesus will rise, and he will guide us through it all into the way of peace, which we so desperately need. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this story through all, all, all these people's lives. That, you know, as we go through Luke and we're just building up towards this moment when Jesus is born, um, I love seeing the way that you care for people so tenderly. Your compassion and your mercy is so evident in these stories. And I pray, Lord, that as we reflect, that we would get a really clear idea of the way that your tender mercy has just been a present part of our lives as well. And that in response, we would turn in gratitude and praise for those that are working through the issue of confessing sin or asking Jesus to take away sin, I pray, Lord, that you would give the courage needed to do that and the humility needed to do that and just a sense of your greatness and your power. Thank you for your help. I pray for all those ministries that we're giving to you, Lord, that you're just um, blessing and rescuing and helping so many people through those um, Christ-centered ministries. I'm grateful for a chance to support that. I pray that you bless this offering and the others that will be giving to those ministries this year. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.